saw him and I closely watched him. I thought how he looked out of place. He came to the woman who sat there beside me. He had a strange look on his face. His big hands were calloused. He looked like a mountain. For a minute, I thought I was dead. But he started shaking. His big heart was breaking. He turned to the woman and said, Welcome, my spectacular friends. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard are courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey, who just had a birthday, by the way, so happy birthday, Bobby. And I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. Old Newgate Prison. Not to be confused with Newgate Prison in London. That is for a future episode, as it is absolutely worthy of its own. Old Newgate Prison gained a notorious reputation due to its living conditions and the most harshest of treatments towards the inmates. And I'll get into that shortly. (gasps) This location wasn't always a prison. It actually was a copper mine before the jailbirds called this place home. Now, what makes this place so unique is that this copper mine known as Simsbury copper mine was the first of its very kind in the United States. And same goes for the state prison. Old Newgate Prison is the United States' first state prison. Now, let's rewind a little. I'm jumping ahead as usual. In 1705, copper was discovered on the west side of Talcott Mountain. Construction started for the copper mine in 1707. Now, obviously, this was when the land was still a British colony. The mine proved to be unsuccessful, so it was shut down. Now, it just so happened that Connecticut needed a central prison, a place to house the dangerous convicts, the criminals. Ah, prison sweet prison. They welcomed their first prisoner in 1773, a man named John Hinson, a very skilled burglar. He was assigned to one of the underground cells, and on the 18th day of his stay here, he managed to escape. Somebody call security! He would be the first of several successful escapes, and I mean dozens of them. People would often kid around, saying that the prison had more escapees than prisoners. The weird thing is, is that for the most part, the inmates would just kind of disappear. Their escape route, never to be discovered. While other times, things were conveniently left open. Thinking maybe that was probably an inside job kind of thing, but who knows? Mm, I don't know. Maybe they were just careless, but I highly doubt it. Now, between 1776 and 1782. It was used as a prison for the prisoners of war from the American Revolutionary War. To convert the mine into a prison, a small blockhouse was kind of constructed over the main shaft with a ladder. Now, this ladder was the only way in and out of the mine. There were no other entries or exits. It was that ladder. On the northern side of the yard, they had a nail and copper shop And on the south side, there was a wagon and machine shop, a shoe shop, a storeroom, a kitchen, and a chapel. 
1824, the prison built a four-story building which contained offices, a mess hall, a treadmill, and a granary, and cells which could house up to around 50 inmates. Old Newgate Prison was notorious and had a bad, bad reputation when it came to the cruel treatment of their inmates. They were often kept where the old copper mines once were. The tunnels, they were damp, often crawling with vermin. It was a consistent 52 degrees. I mean, it could be a gorgeous, nice, sunny, toasty day in Connecticut, but guess what? You wouldn't know that while doing time in the tunnel. Seasons, there's no such thing while you're down there. Summer, spring, it always feels like winter. To the public, it was known as Old Newgate Prison. But on the inside, the prisoners simply referred to this joint as hell. The living conditions and unruly treatment is what actually led to the closure of the country's first state prison. The mines, the tunnels, according to the inmates, it smelled terrible. It was a rank, raunchy smell that you did not want your nostrils to get used to. Water, it would constantly drip. Former inmate William Stewart, a master counterfeiter who committed his crimes throughout New England and Canada, said this about his former home. Armies of fleas, lice, and bedbugs covered every single inch of the floor, which itself was covered in five inches of slippery, stinking filth. And this is what another former inmate had to say about the place. Here are copper mines, and working one many years ago, the miners bored through half the mountain, making large cells forty yards below the surface, which now serve as a prison. By order of the General Assembly, for such offenders as they choose not to hang, the prisoners are let down on a windlass into this dismal cavern through a hole, which answers the triple purpose of conveying them food, air, and, I was going to say light, but it scarcely reaches them. In a few months, the prisoners are released by death, and the colony rejoices in her great humanity and the mildness of her laws. This conclave of spirits imprisoned may be called, with great propriety, the Catacomb of Connecticut. There was no natural light, and air circulation? That was basically non-existent. Their beds, they were old, stale, musty straw. The prison may have been the first state prison, but that didn't stop it from being considered the worst in the country. And that's no easy feat, as we know back then, a lot of them treated their inmates like scum. Not only was the living conditions harsh, the punishment was right up there too. They went hand in hand. They would often get whipped if they disobeyed or broke any rules. They would be put in shackles and fetters. And besides a good old whipping, their ears would be cropped. Kind of sadistic. Some would be branded with a hot iron, like one would their cattle. Bright and early in the morning, the inmates are brought up from the mines, and they would work until four. At night, it was back to the dark, cold, damp mine. And it is here that they would often hatch out their plans of escapement. 
And who could blame them living in something like that? You know, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Work, it's all they truly did. It ranged most of them worked hard at the nail shop. I mean, some worked other places on the property as well. And the unskilled, however, they would have the pleasure or non-pleasure of working the treadmill. No, it wasn't to get into shape. Up to 22 men at a time would power the long-flanged wheel by climbing the paddle's blades, as if walking up endless stairs. This had a purpose. It was actually to grind grain. Now, there are 23 recorded deaths, and that's just when it was a prison. That doesn't count for the miners who lost their lives when it operated as a copper mine due to accidents such as falls, being crushed to death, what have you. Now, when it comes to the deaths with the prison, uh, during a prison uprising in 1802, Aaron Goomer, an inmate, was killed. One of the inmates starved himself to death. Now, his story, if he is telling the truth, is a very sad and unfortunate one. John Edwin Sherlock was a handyman. People would pay him to come to their homes and do odd jobs. You know, you, you're not qualified to do it. You don't know how to do it. You're too lazy to do it. Able to pay someone else to do it. Kind of like what we do today. One such job came from a man who hired John to paint his house. It is after the job is complete that the man claims that John molested his daughter. John defends himself, saying, this is absolutely ridiculous. I would never do such a disgusting thing. I've never done it in the past, and I didn't do it this time. And this man, he truly thought, was throwing this bizarre accusation his way so he would not have to pay for his painting services. The court did not see it that way, and Sherlock was handed a five-year sentence. He refused to eat, he was depressed, and he starved himself to death. Many, many suicides would take place at Old Newgate Prison. Thursa Manfield, she was a convicted murderer. She died in 1851 at the elderly age of 86, five days after her request to be released was denied. Besides suicides, there's been natural cause deaths, murders, inmates on guards, and guards on inmates. Even until the day before the prison shut its doors forever, enter Abel Starkey, the counterfeiter. Abel tries to escape by climbing a rope up the well, and unlike so many escapes before him that were successful, his was certainly not. He falls to his death. He knew that the following day, the prison was shutting down and remaining inmates would be transferred to other prisons. Prisons that are a bit harder to escape from, even if their living conditions were a bit better, still can't escape from a prison that easily. He was desperate. He was in for 20 years. I mean, that's a long time. Too long for Starkey. He requests that his last night be underground. I mean, come on, sorry, but right there should have been a red flag. With the horrid conditions down there, why in the hell would someone request to stay in a place that was referred to as hell? What's fishy is that the well hatch was left open. An easy way out for an escapee. And Abel Starkey would have probably succeeded too if it weren't for the weak rope that broke. 
With the history this place has attached to it, it's truly no shocker that it's plagued with paranormal activity. People that come through visiting the old prison have heard unexplained screams, usually coming from the empty tunnels, experiencing cold spots, and the all-too-familiar feeling of being watched. The sense of just dread. And people also have been touched. Many times people have seen shadowy figures roaming the corridors and even full-bodied apparitions, and it's truly believed that some of the POWs that were imprisoned here remain here haunting the tunnels. So, so sad. Some have seen an apparition of a man climbing a rope that's above the shaft. Now, is this one of the prisoners that successfully escaped, or perhaps it's Abel Starkey, the inmate who fell to his untimely death? People have also caught some great photographic evidence here. I'm a huge photo evidence nut, just like audio. It's phenomenal stuff, and I treat it absolutely like treasure. Now, one such picture was taken of a little girl looking out a second-story window of one of the buildings. There were no visitors allowed in this area, so who exactly is this little girl? Well, that remains a mystery. Maybe she was a guard's daughter, maybe she was an inmate's daughter. It's just she's a little tiny thing. She looks like she'd be maybe like seven years old. I don't know. And she is so precious. And it's sad to think that this like spirit of a little girl is maybe stuck at such a grim place like this old unforgiving prison. It's just very, very sad. So a guy was visiting the mines area and he took a few pictures and in one of them, he captured a white looking mist. And in that was the face of a man. Now this next story is pretty phenomenal. A visitor was in the mine and a tour guide in prison garb shows him around. At the end of the tour, before the guy leaves, he approaches fellow employees and lets them know, hey, I enjoyed my visit. I'll leave a great Yelp review. (laughs) Just kidding. But I enjoyed my visit. I'll be back. And I really enjoyed my mind tour. I learned a lot from that. Thank you. Well, the employees kind of look at each other confused and they look back at the man and they're just kind of like, we don't have any tour guides for the mine area. Or do they? Sounds like a former inmate wants the job. I mean, sign me up. I'll go on one of those ghostly tours. It kind of makes me wonder what went through that man's head when he was told this. I mean, did they have a full-on conversation? What did they talk about? What did he point out? Thinking about it now, did the living challenge tour guide say anything that just didn't make sense? I'd love to talk to the man who went on this one-on-one tour of a lifetime. So, small tiny chance you're actually listening, hit me up at paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear about it. Now, there's a burial ground there where the forgotten inmates lie for all eternity. A cemetery is not the right word for it, as there's no crypts or mausoleums, no monuments or placards, no headstones or crosses, nothing really. Now in 1814, the state of Connecticut bought a small lot for a prison cemetery. There's an old picture that shows headstones and an old wall. And I found an article about a couple dedicated folks who went on a mission to find this forgotten cemetery. They had an old picture in hand that showed, you know, the wall and the headstones. So several longtime residents 
who knew what was happening, them trying to find the cemetery, claimed to know where the burial ground was. Many trips were taken, and the long-timers would go their own path, claiming that they and they alone know where it is. And it was no walk in the park. I mean, the search took them through thick vegetation, bouts of poison ivy, and they even ran into a bear that was roaming the area. Poison ivy. (laughs) Never dealt with this stuff until I lived part-time in North Carolina. Got it in my backyard. And there's a couple times where I got it on my arms and even my foot. That stuff is a bitch. (laughs) Not kidding. I feel their pain. Well, after several unsuccessful trips, an elderly gentleman, a farmer that's been around for decades, for a very long time, took the two men on a mission to a location that they haven't yet explored. The area in question was surrounded by saplings about 20 feet high, and it makes sense that they might not have seen this area or even paid any attention to it because they were looking for a wall. You know, they weren't looking for this, you know, wall of trees, what have you. Within this area, they found what resemble headstones. They're unmarked, they're about six inches above the ground, and very close together. Well, they actually conduct soil tests upon other tests as well, but unfortunately the tests, they came back showing that the soil was so acidic that it was doubtful that any type of organic material could have survived close to two centuries. One hot and humid summer day in mid-August, After a long day of digging, the state archaeologist, he's about to call it quits. He's about to throw in the towel. When a volunteer unearthed a small but definite treasure, a 19th century coffin now. Now, with excitement and adrenaline running through his veins, the archaeologist went back to work in the trench he had dug all day, well over three feet, very careful for not to destroy any potential evidence of a burial ground. That has been forgotten for years. He found several more of the very distinctive coffin nails. They were laid out in the shape of an early 19th century coffin. While they found these coffin nails, to date, no remains of the prisoners have been located. No clothing, no hair, no bones, no nothing. And with the ground being so acidic, as their tests proved, I sadly doubt anything ever will be found. But you better believe that there are people hard at work trying to give identities back to the people buried here, for they have stories to tell. They may have done bad things, and that's why they were doing their time. But to be forever forgotten, that just sucks. If you died at old Newgate Prison, and you had no family to claim you, or, you know, or they wanted nothing to do with you, you'd be buried at the cemetery for the forgotten. Or in some cases the body would be donated to Yale Medical School. Now, since we're in Connecticut with this topic, I thought I would end this episode with a historic Union Cemetery in Easton, Connecticut. Now, this cemetery is so active with spirits that the late demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren wrote a book about in 1992 titled Graveyard, True Hauntings from an Old New England Cemetery. Union Cemetery dates back to the 1700s, and it's believed to be one of the most haunted cemeteries in the United States. Several people have had experiences and encounters here, and it's a great place if you're a photo evidence nutball such like myself. 
people have caught mists, balls of light, and even apparitions on film. One resident spirit is known only as the White Lady. At night, she lets her presence be known. People who've seen her describe her as a very pale and thin woman who has long black hair and wearing a flowing white gown. She's usually seen weaving between the cemetery's old tombstones. And it's not like it was a one-time thing where a few people saw her. No, I mean, dozens upon dozens have come forward to report that they've seen the spirit. Different days, different times, different people, different seasons. And there's probably others out there who may have seen her and are just embarrassed to admit it. Like, you know, who would believe me? The lady in white has been known to scare people driving by in their cars. She is notorious for standing in the middle of Route 59 and getting hit by unsuspecting cars. The person, naturally freaking out, stops, frantically goes outside, searching for the woman that they had just hit, only to find nothing at all. I mean, what a weird, what a mean spirit. This is a horrible prank. My heart would be up in my throat if this happened to me. There may be a reason why she is so vengeful, though. No one is completely sure who this well-known spirit who haunts the cemetery is, but of course there is guesses, opinions, speculation, and stories. Many believe this woman was murdered and dumped in a nearby ditch. Others believe that she killed her husband and then her herself was killed. It just, whatever her identity, it remains a mystery. Some think she died during childbirth. One thing is for certain, she's around and calls this place home. And she sure as hell loves taunting innocent passerby. And there's another spirit, only known as Red Eyes. Sometimes people have seen Red Eyes watching them high up in the trees. One person claims that one night they were walking past the cemetery when they suddenly saw a pair of red eyes staring at him from within the burial grounds. Normally, it freaked him out, and he ran away, only to hear the sound of rapid footsteps running after him. Now, that's creepy. I hate being chased, even if it's playful. I mean... Even like as a kid playing tag, I I felt like my life depended on it. Run as fast as you can, get away. It's all fun and games, but in my head, I was just like, I'm out. Even as a grown-up, when I worked for my mom, she I had to go up a bunch of stairs to go to sleep and then go down them. This is when I was closing a business for her, so I was by myself, and it was a known haunted location. <laughs> and I would have to go downstairs to go to the bathroom or whatever, you know, get something to eat. And when I would run back up, I ran like a serial killer was chasing me. I don't know why. It's just, you know, it's such a goofy thing. But I had something happen to me in a cemetery near my house where I have a couple of friends that are buried there. And I was visiting one of them, Peter, and it was about nightfall. And I start to walk back to my car to hear a sound behind me. Now, by this time, it's a bit on the darker side, so I can't see anything, but the sounds, they continue. I start to walk a bit quicker back to my car, and I hear footsteps approaching me, and at a quick rate. I turn around, ready to knock someone out, only to find nothing there. But I know what I heard. 
I obviously prefer to be a spirit than a, another human being, but I was ready for anything. Now, when it comes to the beloved late Warrens, true pillars in the paranormal community, in their book, they share true tales about the cemetery. I definitely need to put this book on my list of books to get, as the list is always growing, it seems. In their words, it's about their most harrowing, fact-based cases of ghostly visitations, demonic stalking, heart-wrenching otherworldly encounters, and horrifying comeuppance from the spirit world. <laughs> Sounds way intense. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They're equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, my friends. Just head on over to any podcast platform such as Podbean, Podchaser, Apple Podcast, Radio Public, Deezer, wherever you may roam to listen to your other awesomely spooky podcasts. You'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Eugene. Oregon, Kawartha Lakes, Canada, Syracuse, New York, St. Clair Shores in Michigan, and St. Cloud, Minnesota. Thank you guys so much for listening. It means the world to me. Be sure to throw a rating my way, subscribe, leave a review, throw an email my way if you'd like to be on sometime, paranormal.prowlers.podcast@gmail.com. See you next week.